seated. Thank you, team, for leading us in singing. My name is Luke Humphrey. Uh, for those of you who don't know, and I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer Online, and today we are going to be continuing our study through the book of James. Specifically, we're looking at James 1, chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to follow along as I read. James 1, 19 through 27. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious, but does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you that we have your word that we can look into and be changed. And Lord, I pray that as we look at this text tonight, that you would help us to see with eyes of faith. That Lord, seeing your goodness and your grace even in what you require of us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to delight ourselves in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you call yourself a religious person? Does that, does that sound strange to you? Would, you? would you describe yourself saying, I'm Luke, I am a religious person? What does it mean to be religious? That's what probably many of you are wondering is, okay, how would you define religion? And then many people in our society are asking, is religion a good thing or a bad thing? There's a lot of discussion and honestly a lot of confusion about the word religion. By some definitions, people in the world are becoming less and less religious. So the, the key religions of the world might be moving out of importance. And yet, by other definitions, people may be becoming more and more religious, or at least swapping one religion for another. How we define religion is what leads to the confusion. And Christianity, modern-day Christianity, really hasn't helped in this regard with how we use the term, at least not always. I don't know if you've heard the expression, Christianity isn't about religion, it's about a relationship. Well, there is absolute truth to that. At the heart of Christianity is the fact that we are reconciled to God, that God himself brings us into fellowship with him. In that sense, yes, Christianity is about a relationship, but Christianity is still concerned with religion. 
In fact, that's the main thing that James is after here. He wants to see pure, undefiled religion. So that means that we should know what should we think about religion. How do we live in a way that is the sort of religion that James is talking about here in this text? So we're going to be looking at the second half of James 1, what we just read, and we're going to try and understand what James has to teach us about religion. And we're, we're going to look at two points. And those two points are going to show us that the new covenant work in Jesus, the, the, the new covenant work that Jesus creates, it, it causes people to be truly religious who pursue love and holiness. The new covenant in Christ creates a people who are truly religious in pursuing love and holiness. And to see that main point, we're going to look at two points. First, we're going to look at the power for religion. And then second, we're going to look at the nature of religion. We're going to look at the power of religion, and we're looking at the nature of religion. So, the first aspect, the power of religion. Look at verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In verse 19, James is giving three commands. They're separate, but they're related, as we'll see. The commands are, be quick to hear, be slow to anger, or slow to speak, and be slow to anger. And notice, James isn't describing mere actions. He's not saying, hear quickly, speak slowly, get angry slowly. He's not describing mere actions. He's describing being, characteristics about a person. He's describing the sort of people that we ought to be. And that's really important to notice. Religion, according to James, does stuff. We're going to see that. So religion has outward actions that go with it. But that's not its foundation. All of the actions that James is going to call us to flow from characteristics, things that are true of us. It flows from being and not from doing. So how do these commands relate to each other? Slow to anger, slow to speak, or quick to listen. I think James is saying that the person who prioritized listening to others, so the person who really wants to understand and hear what other people say, the person who bridles his tongue, who, who controls what he's going to say, if you're quick to hear and you're slow to speak, then you will also be slow to anger. And the opposite, I think, is true too. The person who is quick to speak, who's slow to hear, will also be quick to anger. Why is this? Well, I think what James is describing is a certain level of self-control, a sort of person, a person who's able to control both the outward things that they're doing, they're speaking, the hearing, but also the inner emotional life that they have. They're, they're a sort of person who is able to control the emotions of their life. And when we think about the way this plays out in our experience, this is true. All right, so imagine you have two friends. One of them is very, very quick to speak. They love sharing their opinion about things. If you're in a conversation with them, they're going to be speaking most of the time. You may not be able to get a word out. Not only that, if you, if you 
disagree with them, they know where you're going before you even say it. They're cutting you off. They're anticipating your response. They're jumping in. That's friend number one. Some of you have friends like this. Some of you are friends like this. Friend number two is someone who is controlled. When, when you meet with her, she genuinely wants to understand what you're saying. She's patient to speak. She wants to make sure she gets the whole story. She's listening. She's asking good questions to draw out. She's not quick to share her opinion. If you had those two friends, and then let's say you had something really hard to tell them. You had something really difficult that they're not going to like hearing. Which of those friends is probably going to blow up in anger? Probably not the person who's quick to listen and slow to speak. It's going to be your first friend, the friend who's always jumping in, always speaking their mind. The reason is because we go all the way down in our being, right? Our tongues are not separated from our hearts, right? Our ears are not separated from our emotions. If you can control your tongue and can control your ears, then by God's grace, you also probably can control your emotions, at least to a point. Slow speech and quick listening are not just mere skills, like let's teach the right skills. They reveal what sort of person we are, someone who is slow to speak, someone who is quick to listen. James is concerned with the sort of person who's ultimately self-controlled. And verse 20 tells us why this is the case. Look at verse 20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When James says the righteousness of God, he's not talking about earning God's favor, as if like we're trying to get saved, so be slow to angry because that's how you're going to get saved. No, James is talking about living in a way that reflects God's righteousness, living in a way that shows the world the sort of God that you serve. Christians are called to be holy as God is holy. And so James says, church, you should be concerned with producing the righteousness of God in your life, living in such a way that shows the world this is what God is like. And if you're quick to anger, if you're blowing up with sinful anger, then you're not showing the world what God is truly like. God calls his people to holiness. Okay, we're going to skip over verse 21 for a moment. We'll come back to that in a second and continue to look at what sort of person James is calling us to be. What does reflecting God's righteousness look like? It looks like doing the word, doing the word. So look at verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So James talks here about being a doer of the word and not a hearer only, and he's going to use an illustration to help get his point across. What is a hearer? Well, according to James, a hearer is someone who hears the word, and it doesn't sink into their life. It doesn't actually affect them. It doesn't cause them to do anything different in their world. It's like a person who looks at himself in a natural mirror, so he looks at his face, and he walks away, and it makes no difference upon him. I think what James is getting at is immediately he forgets. It didn't, it didn't take. 
I mean, can you imagine walking down the road and you forget what you look like? You see a, your reflection in the mirror and you're like, oh my goodness, who's that? Walk down the road, oh my goodness. Who, like, it's ridiculous. That's what it's like to be a hearer only. Someone who hears the word, reads the word, may intellectually know the word, but doesn't do the word, it's absurd. It's ridiculous. The hearer's looking leads nowhere. There's no lasting change. There's no permanent difference in their life. And this, James, contrasts with the doer of the word. The doer also looks at something. You see that? The doer looks at the perfect law, the law of liberty. We'll come back to that in a second, but for now, look at what happens when he looks at that law. He perseveres. He acts. He does. So the hearer looks at himself, walks away, no difference. The doer looks into the law of liberty and continues doing. He perseveres. He acts. He obeys. Hearing and information is absolutely necessary. You should try to know as much as you can about God and as much as you can about the Bible. But by itself, it is insufficient. Your hearing is meant to do something in your life. Just like Jesus commanded in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, teaching them, not just to know, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Teaching should lead to doing. In true religion, in the religion that James is after, information and action go hand in hand. Hearing and doing go together. Okay, so we've seen that James calls people to be characterized by a life of action, by doing the word, to be the sort of people who live in a sort of way, who reflect God's righteousness. But the question that I think every one of us should be asking ourselves is how do we do that? How does that happen? How, how can this person make sure that they are not a hearer, but they're a doer? After all, we're not just talking about mere skills, that you could go to a workshop and you could understand communication skills and fix your marriage. We're not talking about mere skills. We're talking about characteristics, being something. And that's where power comes in. That's where the power for religion comes into play. Where do we get the power? Where do we get the ability to do what James is calling us to? Look at verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. In light of the fact that God is seeking for himself people who would reflect his righteousness to the watching world, therefore, put away the sin in your life and receive with meekness, the opposite of anger, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Here, James is describing two sides of the same coin. You have repentance and faith. You have putting off and putting on. You have removing and you have receiving. Putting away sin, that's repentance. Receiving the word is faith. And look at how James describes the word. It's kind of a strange language for us, especially for those of us who are uh, familiar with the Apostle Paul. It's very different. He says it's the implanted word. What does that mean? Well, I think what James is referring to, in fact, I'm fairly confident what James is referring to here, is the new covenant promise 
of Jeremiah 31. Those of you guys were here for the Hebrew series, we spent a lot of time in Jeremiah 31 and understanding how the Old Covenant and the New Covenant relate to each other. That's happening here as well. Listen to Jeremiah 31, 33. God says, This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. It will be implanted. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. In Jeremiah 31, God's addressing his covenant people who have been disobedient to him. And that's the problem. God's people had broken the old covenant, the Mosaic law. They hadn't obeyed. They hadn't been doers of the word. And there was a reason for that. It's because the law that they received from Moses was on the outside. It was written on tablets of stone. It was kept in a book rather than written on their heart. As Moses would say, their bodies were circumcised, but their hearts were hard. Their hearts were uncircumcised. They had to remove the heart of stone and receive a heart of flesh. They had the command, but they didn't have the power to keep the command. And so God does something with them. In Jeremiah 31, he makes a new covenant with them. And the difference between the new and the old is that the law is put inside of them, on their hearts. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their heart. This is what the New Testament calls the new birth. The new birth. When God writes his law upon your heart, you are born again. You receive a new nature. The heart of stone is taken out, and instead you receive a heart of flesh that beats for God, that loves God, and has the power of the Spirit behind it to keep God's commands. Imagine you go to Carrefour. So you go to Carrefour at Bawadi Mall after the service. You're walking around because there's a big cricket match. I think there's a cricket match going on. There's a big cricket match that you want to be able to watch. And so you go and you buy the biggest TV set that you can possibly get. It is massive. The quality is crystal clear. You spend thousands of dirhams on that TV set. You get it. You take it home with you. You find the perfect place in your living room. You put it on the wall. You sit in your favorite chair. You pick up the remote and you turn it on and nothing happens. Why? Because you didn't plug it in. Now, if you looked at the TV set and said, I paid thousands of dirhams for this TV set, it better work. The thing is, you've missed the whole point. You haven't connected it to the power that fuels it. That's the way religion is like. So many people are going around trying to be religious, like Israel was. They're trying to obey the law in their own strength, and yet they never connect to the power or the ability to do it. They never function the way that religion was actually meant to function. A TV isn't meant to operate apart from a power source, and religion isn't meant to work apart from the power of the Holy Spirit through the new birth. It's really important that we understand that. If we're going to understand what James is getting at, it can be very easy to just shift into your whole list of boxes that you have to check to be able to do stuff. And none of that will work if you don't have the Spirit. If you have not had God's law written on your part, received it by faith. For James, true religion, the religion that matters, flows from the grace of the new covenant. 
And this is the covenant that Jesus is a mediator of. Before Jesus' death, he's sitting with his disciples, and he takes bread and breaks it, and he takes a cup. When he takes the cup, this is what he says. Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, who lived a perfect life, who left heaven, enjoying perfect fellowship with God, and came to earth to die as a substitute for sinners. This Jesus offers his blood and says, this is for you, if you would receive it. This is the power for religion. The power, the ability for religion comes from the grace of God in the New Testament. And that's what ultimately makes a difference of whether a person is a hearer or a doer. It's not merely effort. Hearers aren't like the lazy ones and doers are the really go-getters. It's not like that. There are many go-getters who are hearers only because they have no power to obey. What the doer looks at is the law of liberty. He looks at the law that sets him free, not the law that condemns him, but the law of Christ in which he can receive the forgiveness and observe all that Jesus commanded him in the power of the Spirit. It's called the law of liberty because there's freedom there. The Apostle Paul writes, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Here in this law, this law is written on your heart by the Spirit. Therefore, this is liberty. It's freedom. In the New Covenant, we're set free from the penalty of sin. In the New Covenant, you don't have to die for your sins because of faith in Christ. And in the New Covenant, we're set free from the power of sin. Sin does not have to dominate your life because of the grace of Christ. What all this means is that God himself does what he requires from us. God himself works in us. He's the one who writes the law upon our hearts. He's the one who gives us the Spirit. He's the one who sustains and empowers our obedience. God himself works the righteousness that pure religion requires. Unless you think this is a stretch, that it's forcing this text to say something it doesn't, this is all over in the New Testament. Three passages stand out to me from the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 15. My Bible study on Monday night just looked at this. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Paul's saying, I'm a doer. I did stuff. His grace wasn't in vain. I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Then Philippians 2. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, according to his good pleasure. Christian, work. Be a doer. Act. But no, the reason that you're able to act is because God is working within you according to his good pleasure. And then Titus 2, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That sounds a lot like James 1. Grace has appeared, 
And what does it do? It trains us to work. The grace is active in our life, working out our salvation. It trains us for godliness. Okay, so the takeaway from all this is that the power for true religion comes from God. It doesn't come from you. The ability to be a doer of the word is not something you possess by yourself. You receive it by faith in Christ. And when you turn to Christ in faith, he seals you with his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells your heart. He gives you a new heart and empowers your obedience. What God requires, God provides. The Spirit-implanted word is the power for religion. Okay, so that's the power for religion. We'll do this next one faster here. Pure religion has its foundation in the Son of God and in the Spirit of God. It has foundation in the cross of Christ and the implanted word. The second aspect of religion that we're going to look at is the nature of religion. What is true religion? What is pure religion that James is talking about? What's it like? Look at verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. It doesn't work. It's not what we're after. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the widows and orphans in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James is giving a test here. He's helping us diagnose whether or not we're truly religious. And he says, okay, how do you know if the nature of your religion is pure or if your religion is defiled? And he comes back to what he said at the beginning of this section. He comes back by describing what sort of person are you? If you think that your religion, that you're a religious person, according to James, and that your religion is pure, but your speech is not pure, your speech is impure, then you're actually deceived. You're not really a religious person. Your, your religion is worthless, according to James. And the reason for this is because of what Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke. Our mouths, our words, are not just throwaway things. Our words reveal what sort of person we are. The good person, this is Luke 6, the good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. The evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Words reveal our hearts. Speech is a test of pure religion, according to James, because speech reveals what sort of person that we are. We saw this earlier in the chapter, and we're going to see this later on. James is going to come back to a lot of these topics as we continue to work through it. And I think we can see, as we keep reading, that James is not mainly concerned with having good speech. The reason that we know this is because he doesn't say, okay, if you don't bridle your tongue, your religion is worthless. But if you do bridle your tongue, then your religion is good. That's not what he says. That's not the contrast that he makes. He points to two other things, things that describe who we are. Love for others and personal holiness. Now, this would include bridling our tongue, but it goes deeper, because James is not just after checking boxes. He wants a people who have been 
indwelt by the Spirit and reflecting God's character. Let's look at these one at a time before we wrap up with some application. Love for others. First, pure religion loves others. And specifically, according to James 1, pure religion loves those who are vulnerable, those who are needy in the world, those who are most at risk. This is a generous love, a love that visits the widows and the orphans, not in their prosperity, who visit the widows and orphans in their affliction. It's a love that contains action. It's a love that contains status, being willing to associate with this. This could be a shameful thing, right? You, you're, if you associate with the wrong sort of people, then you're going you're gonna to catch that negative association. But genuine love goes after people. Those who are truly religious love people in a way that's willing to be inconvenienced, that's willing to be even hurt in their pursuit of compassion. Many of us, and I can be very guilty of this, can think of religion as just a source of rituals that we do, right? We go to church, we read our Bible, we say our prayers, and those things are absolutely essential for true religion. You will never, ever hear me say, reading your Bible is wrong. But the Bible itself says, reading your Bible is not enough. The Bible works, but if you do all those things and still live a life that is completely self-centered, that has no love for other people, that doesn't chase down the hurting, the marginalized, the broken, then you may be going through the motions, but you are actually a hearer of the word rather than a doer. And it's very easy for us to do this because here's the deal. When we talk about other people, other people are costly, right? They take time. They take money, right? They're awkward. They're difficult. And if you're never willing to go after that, then what you are is actually selfish. You don't have a heart that reflects God's righteousness. Pure religion loves God and neighbor, especially when the neighbor is vulnerable or in need. And then second, pure religion pursues holiness. According to James, pure religion keeps oneself unstained from the world. It's not enough to simply do the outward compassionate deeds. So some of us can say, okay, it's important to be able to do good things to people, therefore I'm just going to do good things to people. But we also have to recognize that this world that we're operating in is broken. It's sinful. It's rebellious. And if you are not intentional you will be conformed to it. You need to keep yourself unstained. You need to pursue holiness, the sort of holiness that God delights in, that God requires, that God enjoys. We put away filth and rampant wickedness, as James says in verse 21. We guard against the invasive influences of the world. We keep ourselves unstained from it. And it is so important for Christians to maintain both of these realities love for others, and the pursuit of holiness. There are many people in our world who are actively engaged in social justice or in good deeds, ministries of compassion, and they're doing things that are good deeds to do. And yet when you look at them, you think, you look just like the world. In your pursuit of other people, you haven't held on to your pursuit of holiness. 
and your justifying sin and overlooking sin in your life and in the lives of others. They've held on to love for others, but they've lost personal holiness. But there are many people, and honestly, I think this is probably our danger as a church. There are many people who hold on to personal holiness and yet lose love for others. We take the influence of the world seriously, right? We, we, we don't want to be stained by this world, so we set up barriers and we protect ourselves from the influence, and, and that may be a good thing, but in doing so, what we can do sometimes is get so focused on that that we miss the fact that, do we actually love people? Do we actually care about hurt and suffering and brokenness in this world? According to James, the new covenant works in people's lives to produce a people who love both of those things, holiness and compassion. He doesn't let us take one option at the expense of the other. We hold on to both. And while we may disagree, we may disagree on how to do that, right? You may disagree on what love looks like, right? You may be a person who is naturally avoiding speaking hard things to somebody. You may be a person who enters into speaking hard things. You can disagree on how it looks, maybe, but what you can't disagree on is on the need for it. We need to both keep unstained from this world and love the vulnerable and the hurting. And as those who worship God in spirit and in truth, we have the Holy Spirit to sustain us in that. So we are not by ourselves. All right, I want to wrap up here. It's getting late. I want to wrap up with a few points of application. A few points of application. First, I want to speak to hearers, to the hearers of the word. There is a chance that some of you in this room may be listening to this sermon and saying, oh yeah, amen, that's right. But you're saying that in your heart and denying it with your life. So, or with your head, but denying it with your life. There's a chance that you're, you're actually deceived into thinking that you're born again. You, you know truth, and you think that that's enough, that you just know the right things. But you love the world and the things of this world. You're selfish with your time and your money. You're quick to anger. You're quick to take offense. You don't care about people. If that describes you, if you even think that describes you, even if you don't think that describes you, I'm asking you to examine your life, to reflect, and to say, am I walking in a way that is being what James calls me to be? Or am I a hearer only? If you think you're a hearer only, your greatest need is to experience the new birth in Christ. Not to do more stuff. Doing stuff may be good, but your greatest need is for Jesus and for the power of the Spirit. Remove your double-mindedness. Receive Christ with your whole heart. Next, to the doers of the word. For those who, as you were hearing that, you reflect on your life and you think, no, I, I think I am doing the word. I would encourage you, keep doing it. Persevere. That's James's command. Be a hearer and a doer of the word. You may be hurting by loving people that you don't see fruit in their lives and tempted to give up. Don't. You may have been burned in relationships and tempted to withdraw. Don't. You may be suffering, having experienced death and loss and pain, just wanting to throw it all away. 
don't. You may be grieved by the temptation that you experience day in and day out and just feel so tired of fighting against your sin, ready to give up. Don't. Keep going. You are not alone. If you are in Christ Jesus, you have received all the power that you need through the Spirit. And the main thing that the Spirit wants for your life is that you would look like Jesus. So hold on. When things are hard, pray that God would help you, that he would work out what he requires in your life. As a former pastor of mine would say, keep trusting the one who keeps you trusting. Keep trusting the one who keeps you trusting. And then finally, to those who are not Christians. I don't know if there's anyone in this room who's not, but I hope that you see that when James talks about religion, he's not talking about trying to clean ourselves up before God. He's not talking about doing a checklist of all the good things that we have to get done. Christianity is different than any other religion because God himself appears to us in grace. God provides what we need for true and pure religion. He's done it through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ loved the world. He came and died so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And if you turn to Christ in faith, the discouragement that you've experienced, the frustration of being dirty and never being good enough, you will recognize Christ accepts you. And then he gives you the spirit to be able to work out the salvation. From beginning to end and all in the middle, Christianity is a religion of undeserved grace. That's why we sing songs. That's why we praise God. It's because he is the one who is doing good in our lives. And this grace is received by faith. So James's command, put away all filthiness and wickedness and receive the implanted word. That's what I'd urge you to do. Receive Christ by faith. Lord God, we thank you that you are a God who is rich in mercy, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We thank you, God, that when you ask us to do things, Lord, you are not asking us to do anything that you haven't done for us and on our behalf. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to trust you and obey. To not be hearers only, but doers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we...